How on earth did he end up singing and then end up speaking? Don't worry, I'm not going to wander around. I just left my Bible here. I'm not one of these, I don't know, charismatics, right? Well, somebody asked me at the door this morning, two or three people asked me at the door, how did you go from singing to speaking? And the truth is, it's all Ian Wilson's fault. I'll give you a very condensed version because I'm here to preach the gospel and it's not about me tonight, but just some people ask me and you're very confused and I'll tell you, but... I was at Lurgan Baptist one Sunday, that's where my wife and I attended. You see, I was in a mixed marriage, she was a free Presbyterian and I was an independent Methodist, so we had to meet in the middle. And we went to the Baptist, Lurgan Baptist, and we'd known Dennis for a number of years. He led my grandfather to the Lord on one of his holidays, and it always had a special uh, place in my heart for Dennis, and you know him well, he's a, he's a good friend and encourager to me. But we went there, and the first Sunday we went there, there was a couple, he was preaching on why you should join the local church. And you know the way Dennis preaches, he doesn't leave you in any doubt. And we felt, well, we can't now not come back after that. And we were there until the Lord called me into the work. But I remember one Sunday, um, I remember one Sunday Ian Wilson came after Dennis retired and Ian was preaching away as, as good as Ian uh, preaches, you know that. And he said something and he said, maybe the Lord's asking somebody here to give up something precious to them. Give up your Isaacs. And like a bolt from the blue, Philip, that's solid ground. Some of you know solid ground. I've been with them about nine years up to this point. I was the youngest. I was the best looking. Don't tell them that if they come here. But I loved those boys and still do love them very dearly. I'm in touch with them a lot. But we just recorded a CD. It was a dream to do all those things. We got to sing in lots of different places and... We were being used of God, and I thought to myself, really? Why give up the singing? I loved it. It means a lot to me. But I wrestled with this for a month or two. Ian knows nothing about it until tonight, now that it's went out live. But uh, wrestled with it, and eventually I phoned Stevie. He's the oldest in the group. He looks at two, whenever you see him, come here again. And he's the manager, the de facto manager, but... uh, I phoned him and I said, Stephen, look, I can't explain this other than the Lord has put on my heart a need to step down from solid ground. And there was no ill feeling, there was no fallouts, there was no, nothing going on behind the scenes. And he was a bit devastated and the other boys were a bit annoyed too because we had some good times together. But he said, look, if this is how the Lord is leading you, I'm not going to stand in your way. You go. So that was okay. We stepped down at the end of 2019, and my idea was, hey, I'll uh, sing a bit here and there, I'll do a few solo bookings, and at that stage, you see, because I was the youngest in the group, they always picked on me. All we ever hear about is ageism. Well, I was a victim of ageism in that group. And anywhere we went where we had to take the whole meeting, they said, Cub, you'll do the preaching. Okay, well, it'll be a short meeting then. And they used to pick on me to do it. And then when I went to Lurgan, one of the elders there, he's now retired, he came to me one day and he said, look, have you ever spoken in a meeting? I says, no. He says, well, you're going to. And Lurgan Baptist, their prayer meeting and Bible study are separate. And on a Thursday night at their, Bible, at their prayer meeting, they'll have maybe a 10-minute thought and then away you go into prayer. He said, 10 minutes, you're among friends, you'll be all right. 
So that started the ball rolling, and that's what I was doing at that time. Left solid ground, thinking I would serve the Lord in my terms. You know, I would do it my way. And um, a couple of solo bookings came in here and there, and I was happy to preach here and there, different places, and everything was going okay. A young family, and I thought, you know, this suits my schedule, all the rest of it. And then COVID came along. And all the bookings obviously dried up. We weren't in church. And I have sang off the back of enough lorries and trailers to do me a lifetime. Don't ever do that to a singer, by the way. It's, it's horrible. But I sort of wondered where it was all going. And then at work, I went through a particularly tough stage at work. And I remember whenever I did that, I remember reading that day that I started to go through the tough time at work. Uh, Mark 1, 17, 18, and Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. I remember that verse jumped off the page at me. Come ye after me, and I will make you to become. I'm going to do it, Philip, not you. Well, in July 2020, as you know, the regulations uh, tightened up and they eased off, tightened up, eased off. But anyway, in July 2020, there was a wee bit of a relaxation. And I went over to Dennis's house to record a video for him. He was doing videos for different places. And we just chatted in general. He knew nothing about how the Lord was upstaging me in my life and was really going through a hard time of work and really being broken. And we, I left his house and he just tapped me on the shoulder as we walked through the door as, as I walked out. And he said, Philip, you know, Sometimes the Lord has to break a man before he'll use him. What do you mean? He knew nothing about what was going on in my life. And he just randomly, well, not randomly, he was in the Lord's will, I believe. And he said that to me. We were in August 2020, fast forwarded. Dennis was in Port Rush Baptist that weekend. It was the last bank holiday weekend. Again, Dennis knew nothing about what was going on in my life. And I was getting verse after verse about preaching and teaching. And I couldn't understand it. And we were there in Port Rush Baptist, and I sat there, and uh, <laughs> Dennis preached on Isaiah 6, Here am I, send me. I said, really, you could have picked something else. I texted him afterwards, and he said, well, I was going to preach something else, but the Lord had this passage on my mind, Isaiah 6, so we preached it. And I remember sitting there in Port Rush Baptist at the time, they were vacant at the time, and I looked around the wee church, and many of you will be familiar with it. And I felt the Lord saying to me, maybe the Lord wants you to pastor a small Baptist church like Portrush. That's the most ridiculous notion you've ever had in your life. Put that out of your head and let's go home. Got into the car, packed up the car to come home. And I turned to my wife and I said, well, what did you think of Dennis today? She said he was good. She says, you know what I was thinking? Maybe God wants you to pastor a small Baptist church like Portrush. I said, Okay. Ah, well, the work situation resolved itself in September 2020. I was able to keep going and everything was fine. And I thought maybe when that resolved itself, you know, this desire to serve full-time would disappear. It only got worse. It only intensified. It only got worse. So I met with a few of the elders in Lurgan, and they said to keep it going. I remember in October 2020, my second-born boy was born. And he's been a great source of joy and blessing just yesterday. I have a study pod beside the manse where I go to try and study. And he came in with me. And I have a shredder in my study. And uh, he said, Daddy, paper, paper. So I gave him a wee bit of paper and I watched him. He was okay. He was all safe. And then I was focused on something on the computer, getting something ready for today. And the next thing I heard the shredder going and I looked around again. 
and there was an envelope disappearing through the top of the shredder. I said, George, I hope that's not the envelope that I've been putting a bit of money aside for your mother's Mother Day present. <laughs> and I lifted off the top of the shredder, and there there were three beautiful 20-pound notes cross-shredded, not just, you know, shredded, but cross-shredded. And he just looked up at me and he says, Daddy, I'm sorry. He knew right away, and what could you do? It was my own silly fault. But anyway, he's been a great source of blessing. But he was born in October 20, and he kicked, or, well, the older boy kicked off during one of the services in Lurgan, and I took him out to the crash. And Colin Emerson was preaching that morning, and Colin came off with a statement as he was preaching, and he said, you know, maybe the Lord's calling somebody here to do something that seems absolutely ridiculous, absolutely crazy. How on earth would it, it doesn't seem right to anybody else, doesn't seem normal. And I started to cry out the back of the crash, and the oldest boy looked up at me and was like, you took me out for crying, and now you're doing it. <laughs> uh, well, that was all right. Well, George was born in the second one, and I was feeding him one morning, three, four in the morning. You know how it is, man. And I was feeding him. Oh, come on, you do it. We're all modern parents now. But I was reading through Genesis, in the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis 50, verse 21, and I, look, I was looking down at him, I felt the Lord was telling me to leave my job and go into either full-time study or something. I didn't know what it was, but I committed to following God full-time. I thought, how am I going to provide for you, uh, your mother upstairs, and your wee boy, and my other wee boy? Genesis fifty twenty-one. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish thee and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. I locked my phone and I said, that's it, we're going, whatever it is that the Lord would have me to do. Long story short, Kilray somehow found me, must have been online, See, that's the dangerous thing about it, online. They found me, they called me, and I wrestled with it a lot, but the Lord led me and my wife very clearly to it. I don't have time to go into it all tonight, but the Lord very clearly led us there, and he's been very good to us. And there's been difficult days, there's been good days, but the Lord has been constant in it all. And I can only thank him, because on paper, this shouldn't work. I am not the most intelligent, I'm not the most, I struggle with different things, but for some reason the Lord seems to want to use me. And the Lord wants to use you tonight, if you're here tonight, and you don't know what, you would, what the Lord would have you to do. The Lord simply wants you to be available. And if you're available... Dear knows what he will have you to do. But very quickly tonight, hopefully that answers the questions of those two people. But I want to talk very briefly about your most precious possession. I want you to turn, please, to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and verse 36. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and the verse 36. You'll know it well, but I want to talk to you tonight very simply and briefly about your most precious possession. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I wonder tonight, do you realize that you have come here to this meeting tonight with your most precious possession. No, it's not your husband or your wife. No, it's not maybe 
your car or some sort of jewellery or whatever it is. Maybe you've had a favourite car that you've had for years. Maybe you've worked hard, you've managed to finally get it. Maybe it's some sort of rare uh, sports memorabilia, something like a signed uh, Manchester United shirt. They went down in value last week, but uh, they might be up a wee bit now. Whatever it is, maybe you've been able to meet some celebrity and they've signed a photograph, whatever it is. And to you, that's a precious possession. It's something that you treasure and you keep, and it's good. But can I tell you and remind you tonight, every single person here tonight, from the youngest to the oldest, came here with their most precious possession. And it's your soul. You have a soul. What is your soul? Well, your soul has been created by God. It's in Jeremiah 31 or 38, 16, it tells us, As the Lord liveth, liveth that made us this soul. Genesis 2, 7 tells us, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Your most precious possession is not some dormant, rusty, or dusty artifact, but it's a living soul. You have a living soul. Your soul never dies. Did you get that? Your soul never dies. You know, whenever you pass away from this, from this scene of time, this earth, whenever that is, and we hope it's not for a long time, but your soul will not cease to exist when you cease to exist. When you stop breathing, your soul does not stop going. Your soul goes on and on and on for all of eternity. And it will live in one of two places, heaven with Christ or in hell without Christ. See, your most precious possession that you have come here tonight can and will take you to one of two places, heaven or hell. What is it for you? Where is your soul taking you? I wonder, have you counted the cost? I want to tell you very simply this evening about the worth of your soul. I wonder if you ever sat and counted the cost if your soul should be lost. You know when God made you, when God made me, he breathed into your nostrils what we have read tonight, the breath of life. And you became in the words of, of God's word, not my word, not the idea of the Baptist, but the God's word. And it tells us you became a living soul made in the image of God. That's what you are tonight. You're not a body, you have a body. The body is the house in which your soul lives. You know, our body one day will, will die, it will be put into the ground, it will decay, but that soul that's made in the image of God will go on and on and on for all eternity. You see, when the sun, the moon, and all the stars have fallen out of orbit, your soul will still be going on. Your soul will still exist in two places, heaven or hell, timeless, dateless, measureless, your soul will exist forever and forever. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, in Mark chapter 8 and verse 36, asks us this question, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What about you tonight? Have you ever considered that question? From the youngest here to the oldest here, have you considered that question? Now, what makes something valuable? What makes something valuable? Well, let me give you a few ideas of what makes something valuable. Well, a designer. You know, the worth of something can be measured by a couple of factors. Who designed it? Who made it? You know, uh, a Ferrari, I think that's a safe enough uh, one to go for tonight. don't know if anybody has a, here has a Ferrari. If you do, let me know and I could use it for visitation. It would be more efficient. But let me tell you this. If you have a Ferrari or you have some sort of exotic motor, well, obviously, it's going to be worth a lot of money because of who designed it. They're known for wonderful, fast cars or some other brand, Lamborghini, whatever you want. 
It's designed by people who know what they're doing. Let me tell you, you were designed, your soul was designed by Almighty God. That's what makes it valuable in the first place. It's been designed by Almighty God. God breathed into man and he became a living soul. Not only a designer, but demand. That's what makes something valuable, isn't it? We see this all the time. I know a man who bought a Peugeot 205 GTI 1.9 Miami Blue half leather trim sunroof. You know, some, some of the men are smiling here. Some of them know what it's all about. Well, I knew a man that bought one for four grand way back 2005. Sold it a couple of years ago, maybe 2015, 2016, for eight. And the people that bought it off him sold it to a collector in England for 16. Isn't that good going? Now, there's only 80-odd thousand original miles on it, and it was a lovely head-turner of a car. I'm really annoyed he never left it to me, but anyway, we'll move on. That was what made it valuable, because of its demand. There is less, as time goes on with classic cars, there's less and less of them, less of them in good condition, and their value goes up. Let me tell you something. No matter how expensive a thing is, if nobody wants it, it's not valuable. Can I tell you something tonight? You might not be aware of it. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, do you know there's a demand on for your soul? Do you know there's a battle going on for your soul right now? The enemy, Satan, the devil, wants your soul. And right now he's putting into your head what you're going to face tomorrow at work, what the children need next week, that big meeting with the boss on Wednesday. He's trying everything. I wish that boy would hurry up. I can get home and watch a bit of TV. Oh, the old enemy's putting everything into your head right now to try and distract you. There's a battle on for your soul. There's a demand on for your soul tonight. I wonder if you realize that. You want to find out how much your soul is worth. You ask somebody how much they're willing to pay for your soul. Let me tell you this. Somebody quoted this in the prayer at the table this morning. I'll tell you how much the Lord Jesus Christ paid for your soul. First Peter 1.18, for as much... As you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. See, the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for your soul. He went to the cross, he went to Calvary, and there he suffered, he bled, and he died for the sins of the world, and he shed his precious blood that your soul could go free. That's how much he was willing to pay. See, God is love. He sent his son to die for you, for me, Calvary. Do you see the Lord Jesus Christ on that center cross? He was dying in agony and blood. All that physical torment that he went through was terrible. But let me tell you, there was something much greater. And that was the spiritual agony that he went through. He who knew no sin, he was perfectly sinless. And yet he became sin for us. All that you've ever done in your life, all that I've ever done in my life, he became sin. He took upon himself the sins of the world. What a savior. And he did it for you. Wonder tonight, do you realize what the Lord Jesus Christ did? You see, when you understand that, you'll understand that the cross cost something. The cross cost something. We weren't redeemed with with gold or with silver. Your soul is worth much more than a billion, two billion, ten billion, whatever the national debt is of the United Kingdom tonight. Your soul is worth so much more than just money. Your soul costs the very blood of the Son of God to redeem it. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You see, that's why your money can't save you. 
Nothing wrong with money or having money, but if you're depending on money to get you into heaven, you're going to be very disappointed. That's why possessions can't save you. Again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with possessions in and of themselves, but if you're depending on them to secure your soul for all of eternity, you're deluded. You're going to be disappointed. You can't rely on them. See, nothing human as such can ever save you. Only the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can save you. What else makes something valuable? Well, durability. I used to work with a gentleman. I was a building surveyor before I came into the ministry. I used to survey buildings, now I survey the Bible. You couldn't make that up, could you? And my wife often says, I thought I married a man that surveyed buildings, not the Bible, but you know, you pray for her, she needs it a lot. But let me tell you this. I worked with a man in my placement year. He's in the glory now, and I loved him dearly. He was a great inspiration to me. But he used to have an expression. He said, Philip, if you pay peanuts, you'll get monkeys. Have you heard that expression? Or you pay cheap, you'll pay twice. You see, generally speaking, the more you pay for an item quality-wise, the more durable it will be. You can't put a price on your soul because it'll go on forever and ever and ever. It's one of the most durable things on earth. That's what makes it so valuable. Christ died for your soul. You know something else? Not only durability, but there's development. What do I mean by that? Well, in front of me here this evening, from the very youngest to the oldest, there is so much potential. Do you know what I mean? There is so much that you can do for the Lord Jesus Christ. From the youngest to the oldest. You're never too old to be of any use to the Lord. You're never too young to be of use to the Lord. Do you know that tonight? Maybe you think you're too young. Maybe you think you're too old. You're too tired. You're too whatever. Let me tell you, the Lord can use you. You have so much potential. And that's what makes something valuable. You know, a plot of land maybe comes up in a good location near a town or near infrastructure, near schools. Well, that land has a lot of potential if it were to be built upon. There's development potential. That makes it valuable. You see, So many of you here tonight, if you're not saved, only the Lord knows, and I say that reverently, only the Lord knows what potential you have in your life. This little province, this town, St. Field, needs people who are on fire for God. Our little province needs people who are set on fire for God. Wouldn't you agree with me, those of you who are saved? So much potential. Listen to me. What are you going to do with it? God has a plan for your life. He wants to restore to you what Adam lost in the Garden of Eden when he fell in sin and Eden much more. God wants to give you the very nature of Jesus Christ himself. The Bible tells us, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. It doth not appear what we should be like, but we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him. Have you ever thought about your soul? You know something, something else that makes your soul so valuable? It's rarity. How valuable something is is how rare it is. Gold, of course, is rare. Platinum is very rare. Diamonds are extremely rare. Diamonds are more valuable maybe than other stones because of their rarity. Can I tell you, here in St. Field, I tell them in Kilray, you're one of a kind. Let me tell you, you're one of a kind here tonight. You are unique. Your soul is unique. God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for you. And that's what makes your soul so very, very valuable. God made you. Christ died for you. And your soul will go on and on. Very quickly as we close tonight, not just the worth of a soul, but the waste of a soul. 
Look at our verse again tonight. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You see, there is tragically the waste of a soul. A man could lose his own soul even if he gained the whole world. See, on one side you have the world, the lust of the eyes, the flesh, the private life, what's in the world. And then the other side you have the soul. And Jesus, if you like, the Lord Jesus compares the two. He brings the two into sharp focus. And he's essentially saying, look, what a waste it would be if somebody were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Do you know what? We think if we were to gain the world that we could keep it. Let me tell you, you wouldn't keep it and it wouldn't satisfy you. Do you understand that tonight? You know, you cannot take it with you when you go. Was it Big Tom and the mainliners used to sing? Forgive me for quoting Big Tom, but you're going out the same way you came in, no matter who you are or where you've been. And do you know what? It's so true. Each of us will come into this world with nothing and will leave with nothing except a saved soul. Let me tell you tonight, there's people who have things in life and they will be the first to tell you that they do not bring any lasting happiness and joy. They might have their thrill, but then comes the bill. The world fascinates and then it assassinates you. It thrills and it kills and it'll never satisfy you. What a tragic waste. What a way to lose your soul tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you're sort of starting out in life. You've gone through school. You're maybe going through university. You're going through further study. And, or you're maybe going to set out in business. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things at all. But maybe you're going to set out and you're going to do X, Y, Z. And you're going to achieve all these different goals before you're 25, before you're 30. And all these different things. And not one moment have you ever taken to think about Christ about your soul. And you know, you could go through life and you could achieve all those things. Nothing wrong with that necessarily, but one day you could end up, you could come to a point in your life in the small hours of the morning and whenever you put your head on that pillow, you realize it's not well with my soul. What a tragic waste that would be. You know, if you lose your soul, it's irreplaceable. If you lose your car, you may buy another car. Peugeot 306, D-Turbo, China Blue. Any of you remember it? I'm 32, and whenever I was 18, 17, 18, that was the car that you wanted to have. And I had a nice example. My dad got it off a free P minister, of all people. I had it about two weeks, and I put her through the hedge. I really regret that. I really liked that car. But let me tell you this. My dad, in fairness to him, he could have took the head off my... He said, look, don't worry about it. We'll get you another car. I hope nobody has the misfortune to crash their car on the way home. But let me tell you this. You can get another car. Something terrible happens to your house. You can build another house. You can buy another house. You smash your mobile phone up. You can get another phone. You lose your soul. You can't get another soul. You can replace some things, but you'll never replace your soul. Let me tell you this tonight, my dear friend. The Bible tells us it's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. And I'm going to tell it to you plain and simple tonight. There's not one shred of scripture that I can find that tells me that after you die, you can get your soul sorted out. You have to do it now. You have to do it here tonight. Behold, now is the accepted time. This is the moment, right now. Don't you leave this building here tonight without knowing that it's well with your soul. 
You see, if you want God's love tonight, you can have it. If you want God's mercy tonight, you can have it. If you want God's grace, you can have it. If you want his forgiveness, you can have it. If you want the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you want to be saved tonight, I can promise you, not in my words, but on the authority of Scripture, which has outlasted me and will outlast me, that God is a God of mercy. And you can call upon the name of the Lord tonight and be saved. But let me tell you, you close your eyes in death. And one day you'll stand before the Lord in judgment. It's no use to say then, have mercy upon me. Be too late. Forever too late. No good to come to that day of judgment and say, God, have mercy on my soul. It'll be past. There'll be no opportunity for forgiveness, no opportunity for mercy. Bible tells us the books were opened and every man was judged according to those things which are written in the books according to their works. You see, in that moment after you've passed from into death, there'll be no mercy, no grace, no forgiveness. Your soul is irreplaceable. You see, you don't need to go to hell tonight and die. Whenever you die and go to a place called hell, why? Christ died for you. Do you see it tonight? Do you realize it tonight? Christ, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, not to write you off, not to condemn you, but that the world through him might be seen. Tell me tonight, have you called upon the name of the Lord? You know, you've sat in this service tonight and I've gone on too long and I'm going to wrap it up. But You've heard me preach, you've heard other faithful men preach here time and time and time again. And maybe you've sat here in this service for this type of gospel service. You've been coming here for decades, I don't know. And maybe by all outward appearances, people think you're saved. You sort of look saved. You know how to dress and how to talk and how to act. But in your heart of hearts, you know your soul's lost. But you've sat in this service tonight. You've heard the word of God. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But you walk out those doors tonight. You walk past me or whoever else is on the door and you go out into the night And should you pass into eternity and you face the Lord Jesus Christ, what would you say if your soul's not ready to meet him? Some of you might say, well, I didn't know what church to join. The Lord might say to you, well, I didn't say to believe on the church. I said to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, I'm not saved because of all the hypocrites. Well, I'm sorry that there are hypocrites in the church. I can't help that. But the Lord Jesus Christ could say something to you. I didn't ask you to believe on the hypocrite. I ask you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be seen. So many people are depending on the hypocrite. I find that incredible. I meet them all the time. Oh, I can point to so and so. You've heard it all a million times. See, as lovingly and as tenderly as I can tell you on the day of judgment, you'll not be able to point out the hypocrite and ask them to take your place. You have to take your place with your own soul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What is your most precious possession? Your soul. For some of you, I fear that you will pay a very high price. You're paying with your life and eternal damnation. Jesus paid it all. All your sin debt has been paid. Even though we were born in sin, we practice sin, Jesus has paid it all. I wonder tonight, do you, have you ever accepted what he has done on the cross? Come to Christ tonight. Admit, admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you need to be saved. You know, confess your sin to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you. Call upon his name. You can do it right where you sit. 
or talk to somebody here that you know. And let me tell you, whenever you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll pass from death onto life. And you'll leave here a new creation in Christ. Just before we sing our final hymn, let's just bow in a moment's prayer. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for this great question that has been posed to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world yet lose his own soul? Father, tonight we pray that nobody would leave this place tonight not knowing where their soul's eternal destination is secured. Father, we pray that nobody would leave this place a sinner, but everyone would leave this place a new creation in Christ. Visit this place with salvation, we pray. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. We're going to stand to sing our closing hymn, I Must Needs Go Home by the Way of the Cross. There's no other way but this. I shall ne'er get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. Let's stand to sing after we get our introduction. Thank you. <laughs>